Thank you, Bran. As you might uh, be fully aware of, uh, at the cross we have what we did last Lord's Day and, and, and nailed our oikos cards uh, at the foot of the cross, brought it to the foot of the cross, and then nailed it to the cross as, as a statement that we really believe that Jesus died for the purpose of drawing people to himself. Uh, in Hebrews, and we'll be looking at Hebrews this morning, it said that Jesus went to the cross for the joy set before him. And, and that is that joy is for those who would come into relationship with him. If you didn't have opportunity to fill out a, a, a Oikos card, there's some in the back. You could turn them in the church office during the week or even hand them to me or, or a brand of someone else on staff, and we'll put them on the cross this week because we're doing this as a church family. God has called us to fulfill the mission of the church. As a purpose statement, we have stated for Grace Hills Church that we're here to honor God by helping more people become fully devoted followers of Christ. And that begins with us reaching out to our oikos as well as uh, penetrating our community. The one announced what the brand was talking about will be show, showing video, Lord willing, next week uh, that shows some of the penetration into our community as we look at the free giveaway, the breakfast, and opportunity just to pass out flyers in the community as well. But as we pray for each other, and hopefully you've been praying regularly for your oikos, we all not only pray for the mission of the church, but for the ministry of the church. And part of that is praying for families. We want to be praying for the mayors as Lori's uh, father um, went home to be the Lord this week and they're back there. We want to be praying for Heather Knapp has some little few complications with uh, the pregnancy process. We want to be praying for her as well. So let's look to the Lord in prayer uh, before we look into his word uh, this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we do uh, come into your presence acknowledging that, that we are a needy people. Uh, needy people not only to have your provision on the cross be applied to us as we uh, come into relationship with you. Uh, but also we need your power to be a witness in our community, in our relational world, those people that we know and care about. It's so easy not to live out our faith. It's so easy not to speak about our faith. But Father, you have disordained uh, your followers to be your hands and feet and to be your mouthpiece to share the good news with others. And Father, you've also called us as a church family to love those and care for those in need. And Father, we do pray for Lori and the extended family. Just pray that you might give them peace and comfort during this time. Pray for Heather and also her extended family that you might give her strength uh, for each day and uh, your hand might be upon her. And Father, we would also pray for each one who comes uh, on this Lord's Day with various challenges. And we recognize that we, we need your help. Uh, we need your provision in our lives. Help us to be a dependent people on the one who provides. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we continue our series of uh, racing through the New Testament as we see what God has for his people. As we summarize, the Old Testament is promises made and new, the New Testament is promises kept. And God details his plan for us. Well, this morning as I, as I was preparing uh, this uh, challenging idea of going through the entire book of Hebrews is a little bit more of a challenge than going through a one-page book like we did last week. Last week we looked through that postcard of a letter, uh, Philemon, and now we look for a rather detailed, you could say, PhD dissertation on God's plan, not only unfolded in the New Testament, how it, how it dips back into the Old Testament. As, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about not only the challenge, but also a question I'm often asked. And it's related to uh, studies that have been done in, in relationship to people's greatest fear or source of anxiety. And often on the top of that list 
is man's greatest fear or woman's greatest fear or source of uh, anxiety is to be called up and to speak in front of a group of people. Often I'm asked, and this is the question I was referring to, uh, do you still get nervous before you preach? And the answer back is not really when I'm preaching to people I know and care about, but probably without exception, after I preach, there is a response. After I preach, almost every Sunday or Monday morning, I wish I had preached a better sermon. And so I was thinking, how could I, how could I accomplish that some Sunday? Because it seems like every Monday I'm thinking, couldn't I have done better in expressing God's word, which is so powerful and alive, and, and somehow it, it, it was diminished by my lack of giftedness or ability to communicate it. And so I thought, this would be the Sunday I would finally preach a better sermon. And that's why this Sunday the message is entitled, a better sermon. So if you'll get, grab your outlines this morning, we're going to look at a better sermon because we're going to look at the book of Hebrews and really, if we're trying to summarize this, this complicated book, this book, if you were to say this is a deep book, uh, this is a book you would refer to because he really gives a backstory of all the 39 books in the Old Testament and trying to unfold its understanding in a, a singular book in the New Testament to see how it fits. And so as I was thinking about, well, how, how can I communicate that which ought to be preached on a month of Sundays rather than a particular Sunday, one singular Sunday? Well, there are a number of different themes in this. One, if you were to, to break it down, there are 13 chapters, you could put it this way, that the first 10 chapters is all about the writer of Hebrews challenging his readers then and now to really know what they really believe. Uh, people believe all kinds of things, but it doesn't really matter what you believe if what you believe is not true. And, and so the challenge is just hammered into the lives of those people then and now. Is Do you really know what you believe? But you, because you can have such heartfelt conviction on things that are simply not true. And, and then the last chapters, 11 through 13, he, he kind of focuses on not only knowing what you believe, but now living what you believe. So if you want the summary of the book, that's how I would throw it out to you. On the other hand, if you want a one statement of this entire book, it could be something like this, that, that Jesus is better than anyone or anything else that you can even imagine. And the reason I say that, and the reason this message is entitled A Better Sermon, is because a, a word is used repetitively. And we've all been in those situations where maybe in an academic situation we know there's going to be a, an exam later on. And if a teacher says something once, it, it, it could be on the test. If they say it twice, well, that's a good indication. You, you, better, you better note this down. This could come back when exam day arrives. If they say it three or four times, you know it's there. Well, in this particular book, it said 13 to 14 times. That's depending on how you count. Uh, and we know this is on the exam. Because this is what Hebrews is all about. It's all about, to use the Sunday school answer, it's all about Jesus. But, but the focus here is that Jesus is better. He's better than anything and anyone. Whether you go back in the Old Testament and look at all the 39 books, they all point to Jesus. So if somehow you get stuck on Moses or Joshua 
or, the, or Aaron and all his priests or all the institutions and rituals of the Old Testament. You miss it if you don't see it. It's, it's all about the promised Messiah to come and, and Jesus fulfills that. And, and our confidence and faith is all in him. Everything, everything that has ever been and will be pales in comparison to Jesus because Jesus is better. And we're going to try to see that this morning. Now, he writes, as you might kind of get a clue, to Hebrews, <laughs> people who are of the Jewish persuasion, probably ethnically or at least religiously, those who were Jewish by, by race or those who had been converted to Judaism. And some of them had made the step to follow Jesus, and some were tempted to go back, possibly motivated because it was, it was a period of great persecution and tribulation for God's people, and, and they would have a little bit less, at least from one ethnic group, if they, they went back to the Jewish faith. And some were on the line, and, and they, were, they were looking at how much better Jesus was, but were they willing to count the costs across the line of faith? And maybe this morning, this is, this, is, this is where you are. Not that you have the same exact challenges intellectually or, or spiritually or biblically that they did. Maybe you do. But you're wondering, am I going to cross that line? Am I going to be convinced that Jesus really is better than anything this world has to offer? Or I'm still kind of holding on to, to what I enjoy in life, what, what I want to do in my life. Because really, if, if you were to simplify Christianity, Christianity is simply this. It's understanding that, that us running our own lives is second best, third best, fourth best, a million times worse than what God has to offer for us. But it all gets down. Are we willing to give up control of our lives to the one who came to die for us? To be not only our Savior, saving us from our sin, to be our Lord, to take the the steering wheel of our life, and say, okay, you're now in control. And that's what they were struggling with. So this morning, that's our attempt. We're, we're going to try to race through this book, uh, and I put all 14 times, that, uh, 13, 14 times, I forget how many I put down there, and I thought about having 14 points this morning, but I said, you know, they're going to struggle with that. So I cut it in half. Wasn't, isn't that good? So we're only going to look at seventh days, and we will not say the same amount of time in each one, but we're going to look how Jesus is better. And hopefully you'll leave this morning. If you only remember one truth, you'll remember that Jesus is better. better. All right, let's look at it this morning. Does Jesus really make it better? First of all, as you think about being better, you think in terms of, well, how about all the other spiritual things and godly-type things that are offered? There's, there's all kinds of religions. There are all kinds of things that people go after. And so he begins there. He says, first of all, I want you to understand that Jesus is better than any heavenly messenger that's ever arrived here on earth. He's better than angels. Let's pick that up in Hebrews chapter 1. We'll actually look at verse 1, and then we'll hit the point I really want to hit this morning. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. And that's just a great statement about God. God wants to get his message across. So he, he uses all kinds of means and avenues by which that is, that is communicated to people. And he still does that today in terms of, of hearing about the message of Jesus in so many different avenues. Verse 2, as in those last days spoken to us by his son 
whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So he's speaking about Jesus, and he's the one who is the, the creator as well. Verse 3, who, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself, and here's the point where we start in the text in your outline, purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much, what's the next word there? better than the angels, as he is by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Verse 5. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, I have begotten you. So, so Jesus is not just a heavenly messenger. That's what, it, that's what the, angel, the word angel simply means. It means if you were to translate it, it means messenger. And there are earthly messengers and there are heavenly messengers. Angels are just simply heavenly messengers. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Then verse 6. But when he again brings the firstborn, which is a statement of preeminence, into the world, he says, let all the angels of God, what? Worship him. See, as we think about Jesus being better, better than anything or anyone else, that would mean that by definition, he is the one to be honored and worshiped and glorified. Now, even for the writer of Hebrews to reflect on that, not only how he be worshiped in comparison to angels, Jesus himself said, remember in, in uh, Matthew 4, verse 10, remember Jesus was tempted by the evil one? And when the evil one was tempting him, he was tempting him to, to, uh, to follow after him. And, and Jesus, in response to one of the temptations, uh, put it simply like this. And I want to read it and make sure I quote it right. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. See, for even Jesus to receive worship, put him on the same level as God the Father. Now, now we really believe the Bible has revealed himself clearly as there is one God. But within the one God, there are three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three, one in essence, but distinctively different in persons, but one essence, one God. And so as we think about Jesus, we need to understand he's not just some prophet, some preacher, some religious man, some even angelic being, as primarily what Jehovah Witnesses believe. They believe he's some kind of an eminence from God. Awesome and great, but less than God. And the scripture declares that Jesus, to be better than anyone or anything else, means that he is able to be worshipped. And even Jesus himself, that you should only worship the Lord your God and him only. And Jesus received worship. Remember when angels were a big thing? I mean, for some, that goes in kind of spurts in terms of our culture where there's magazine articles about angels or TV programs about angels. I'm sure you never remember that, that, that what was that film? Touched by, a, by an angel? Look, I don't need to be touched by an angel, okay? Because I've been touched by who? Jesus. And as we've said many times, when you're touched by an angel, you know what the emotional response is going to be is? It's going to be fear. Because he's God's messenger, and he's going to be proclaiming a message to you that you're going to be overwhelmed by. See, Jesus is better. 
He's better than angels. And we don't want to be touched by an angel. We want to be touched by Jesus, who is worthy of all our worship. The, uh, the Westminster Catechism said this, that the chief end of man is to glorify God or worship God and enjoy him forever. And because Jesus is so much better than the angels, we can enjoy life to its fullest because we've been touched by the supreme one in this universe. So the writer of Hebrews jumps out, just hammering. I want you to understand this. Jesus is better. But let's, on, let's look on in terms of other things he, he emphasized that. We're going to jump to chapter 6. There's some development between chapter 1 and chapter 6 where he talks about he's better than Moses, better than Joshua, better than Aaron. But we're going to look at uh, the, the impact that Jesus makes in our lives. Because it's one thing that Jesus is true, but does, does, it, does, it, does it work? Does it make a difference? Uh, and, and I want to put it this way. Is Jesus is, makes it better because he gives a better lifestyle. Look at, look at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. And really, I'm just saying, I want you to understand that, that once you cross that line of things, that, that, that line of faith, then better things are going to happen. Not necessarily easier things, and we always need to understand that. Becoming a follower of Jesus Christ does not make life easier, it simply makes it better. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. And what, what should result when you come into a relationship with God? Though we speak in this matter, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor which you have shown toward his name in that you have ministered to saints and do minister. Now, one of the struggles of reading through the book of Hebrews, and I won't have you raise your hands to see how many read through the book of Hebrews this last week. Next week, we're supposed to read through the book of James. A little bit easier to read. But really what he's saying here is, I want you to understand things got better for you because your life began to look more like Jesus. And I can tell because your life began to work in behalf not of just yourself, but for others. And you can describe that not only work, but it was a labor of love. And you began to minister to, to God's people. The word minister is simply, or ministering to saints, simply the idea is it's serving or helping. One of the things that will mark us is if we really cross the line of faith and really have a sincere saving faith with Jesus Christ is is we become less me-centered and more others-centered. And he said, I've seen that in your life. Your life has changed. It was so great to to see people ministering a couple weekends ago, just reaching out to people in our community. And what motivates people to do that? It's the love of Christ that makes us better on the inside, and therefore we want to show it on the outside. You know, it's interesting. Some of you have read a lot of Lee Strobel's books, which really tries to persuade people, or at least make people think more deeply about uh, the person of Jesus Christ because uh, he is truly the one who he claimed to be. Well, it's the case for Christ, the case for faith, the case for creator, the case for the real Jesus. There's a lot of cases going on with Lee Strobel. But if you've read his testimony, heard his testimony, it's interesting. What brought him truly to faith, or what was the most motivating factor that brought him to faith, was he saw the difference in his wife. And, and he fought it for a long time. But we saw that Jesus made his wife better. Her lifestyle, her character, her love for other people, 
and eventually he wanted what she had. He became convinced that it not only worked because he could see it in Jesus, see it in his wife, but he, but he, he knew it worked, he knew it was true because he looked at the claims of Christ. So how does Jesus make it better? He, he makes it better because, first of all, he's better than any angelic being that we can imagine or any spiritual being that we can imagine because he's truly God. He makes it better because he changes people's lives, a better lifestyle. Thirdly, he makes it better because there's a better access. In some ways, in trying to summarize the 14 betters, I had a struggle in terms of what kind of words. And so I'm going to break this access in a couple ways that the writer of Hebrews breaks it down. There's a better access or a better way to God. As we think about it, Jesus made that very familiar statement. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Well, what does that mean, he's the way? How does that, how does that connect? And how did God do that before Jesus arrived on the scene? Well, primarily the way that people connected from where they were living to where God was living, God used a representative, and those were called priests. And then not only did he bring priests, but he also brought a high priest who would who had, we don't have the time to tell all the backstory, who would truly represent people to God. And here's what we have here in terms of priests, Hebrews 7, 1 through 3. Um, it's written, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returned from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness. And I'm, I'm so tempted to slow down to kind of give, you know, fill this in. But basically what happened is Abraham came back and he ran into this priest who was, who was not only a priest but a king, a Melchizedek, and, and he, he represented someone higher than himself. And he was one who also made representation between man and God. And, and because he wanted to honor the God of this priest, which would have been, we kind of look at how that was put together, was the true God, he gave, them a, gave him an offering. And, and we see that God always delights in his people demonstrating honor to God by offering our resources back to him. The, the reason we give to God is because not because God is poor, but because we want to honor him. You know, we, we value that which we invest in. Isn't that, that true? Things that are important to we we spend money on. And, and so that just honors God. And so he gave a tenth to him. And then also Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, represents a priest. What's the next word there? Continually. Now, let me try to make the simple point here. As God slowly brought people into understanding fully who he is, he used people to communicate the message, and he used people to be like representatives to the one who was going to totally represent himself, which would be God himself. And so a priest would take on the role to stand before people, their sin, and God. But a priest would only, a high priest would only last so long. He didn't take that high priesthood position on a continual basis because people live, and then they what? They die. And so Melchizedek, who we had no genealogy on, was kind of like the one priest who was to come, which is Jesus, because Jesus doesn't have... Uh, the, the real genealogy of, 
of Jesus is found in the Gospel of John, not in Matthew and Luke, because Jesus has always been and will always be. And so he is a priest that will always last. He will be a priest forever. And we need to recognize that there is, there is no better representation of God than the one who was always, who is eternal. Even today, you know, we have people who provide leadership in a church. And sometimes what happens is, is people so identify with the leader in the church is once that leader leaves, they go search for some other leader in another church. It's not the people of God doing the ministry of God. They, they identify so much with that individual leader. Uh, you know, there's a story I've told of a, of a pastor uh, who had announced that he was leaving the church. And there was an older member of the church that had, gone, had been there over 50 years and seen a number of pastors leave, in fact, at least five pastors. And so she came up to him after the, after the announcement that he was to leave, and, and she was really distraught. And, and she said, I, I, just, I just don't think we'll ever get a, a better pastor than you. And, you know, that kind of struck the ego of the pastor. He said, oh, I'm sure that, that God, in his greatness and goodness, will bring a better pastor to you after I leave. And, and she responded back to him, well, he never has before. <laughs> Which means that he was the fifth best pastor she had ever had, all right? Is that we would never be able to do that with Jesus. There's no one coming in the future that's going to be that better one who stands before us and God, the mediator between God and man, because Jesus is fully God as well as fully man. He represents us perfectly before his Father. In fact, the next verse says that in your outline, now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Now, we heard already that, that Abraham had given an offering to Melchizedek, and that was the, the type of Christ. But we need to recognize later on what Melchizedek did is he blessed Abraham, who was less than himself. And really, isn't that what Jesus does for us? We have a phrase that many people in our church use to uh, describe their life. How are you doing? Well, better than I deserve. And as we think about Jesus being the better high priest, he always blesses us the lesser by being the better and giving us better than we deserve. So as we think about Jesus, he's better than the angels. He's, he gives us a better lifestyle. He gives us better access because he is the one who blesses us continually. And that same idea, he's also the one, being the high priest that lasts forever, he gives us a better hope. Look at Hebrews 7, verses 18 and 19. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing of a better hope through which we draw near to God. You see, is, is Jesus being the access to God? All those who had been priests before Jesus arrived on the scene. They were giving people hope that when they died, that if they had truly believed in the, in the true God and followed after him, that they would somehow have a better future. That they could look forward to that God would respond to them in love. 
But that wasn't fully experienced until Jesus came. He is the one who, who nails that our hope is not simply wishful thinking. That we can rest that, that he is faithful to what he has offered. And so we're not looking at a, a human to stand be, between us and God. But Jesus, the Son of God, stands before us and God. And we can stand in his presence in confidence because he settled it. So what, how is Jesus better? He's better than the angels. He's better in giving us a lifestyle. He's, be, he's better because he's the better priest, the access to God, the one who gives us hope. And then fourthly, he's the one who gives a better covenant. Now, I thought about tra- uh, describing that a different way. That's the biblical language of that. He, he, gives us a, he gives us a better deal. Do you like good deals? Anybody like good deals? I mean, any shoppers out there, anybody who doesn't like to be taken, anybody who likes, you know, good sale, whatever it might be, you, you, or whatever you buy, you want to make sure it's quality. Well, this is, this, is, this is the statement here. He gives us a better deal. He gives us a, a better agreement. He gives us a better way of, of accessing and, and experiencing our relationship with God. Look what Hebrews 7.22 says. To be, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety or a guarantee of a better covenant, a better deal, a better agreement. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he also a mediator of a better covenant who was, who, which was established on better promises. And see, that's a verse in which you get better three times, two or three times. See, as you look at that, is that what God does for us, he gives us a deal. Now think about this for a moment. In the Old Testament, God gave, gave an external list of do's and don'ts. You know, he gave us the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions, the Ten Commandments. And as they looked at that, they recognized, as they, they did that, they had to obey that fully and completely. But they knew they fell short, and so then God gave sacrifices to somehow cover that sin. And, and they were probably struggling so much because it was so external in terms of trying to fall after God. But in Jeremiah chapter 31, he says there's coming a day, and that came in, in, the t- in the time of Jesus where he was no longer going to write the laws on tablets, but he's going to write it on our heart. And, and so we, as we think about Jesus, Jesus is the one who brings life from the inside out rather than the outside in. And, and so with Paul, as he says in Philippians chapter 2, that, that we are to work out our salvation with fear and, tr- and trembling, but what he says to that is that, that God is in you both giving you the will and the work to do for his good pleasure. It's God's spirit living within us so that we can be the children of God because God is living inside of us and he just wants to allow that to leak out. These, these are huge themes we're looking at. And that's why the detail in, in Hebrews is, is, is rather cumbersome and looking through it and looking at the cross passages in the Old Testament and New Testament. But it truly is, it doesn't get any better than this. Because of God's great promises that we have God living within us and his, his law is written on our hearts. So in many ways, that's a challenge because at times we, we, we want to kind of rationalize why we're living like we're living. I, I just, I didn't know any better. <laughs> well, we can't say that anymore. But God's, God's presence reveals in more fuller ways his plan and will for our life. It's a better covenant. It's a better deal. 
We didn't get shortchanged when Jesus came. Fifthly, it's a better sacrifice. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23, it says this, Therefore it was necessary that the, that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Complicated language, but let's try to put it in Hebrews 10, 12 words. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. There are other words that are used often in the book of Hebrews. I said uh, that the word better is used basically 13 times. The word, interesting enough, perfect is used 12 times. The word heavenly is used 11 times. And he really wants us to see life from a higher perspective and a more complete uh, perspective. And as he sees this, I, I want you to understand that what Jesus did was complete. There's nothing that needs to be added to it. That as they looked at how they approached God before, they would come to a place of worship like this and they had to bring something with them. <laughs> and it wasn't just a friend or a family member or something for the offering plate. It was, it was an animal in which they had to bring a blood sacrifice. I don't know about you, but after a while, that'd get a little old. And particularly when you thought about it, is, is, is the sacrifice I'm giving, is it enough? But what he said about Jesus, Jesus is that sacrifice that's made once for all. And it's complete. Let me ask uh, you this, this morning, does anybody, what if, what if I could do this for you? Okay, uh, let's say you have a few more house payments to make on your, your home that you're living in. How about if I say, today I'm going to write you a check, and this is going to be the last payment on your house. Would anybody go for that? How about a car payment? Maybe you got a number of car payments that today I'm going to do for one of you today. Only one, because, well, none of you today. But actually, the one of you today, I'm going, to, I'm going to write your last car payment. Or your credit card is now going to be at zero balance. Man, what an awesome thought, huh? Man, just multiply that a trillion fold. When Jesus paid the price, he paid it in full. My, my favorite last word of Jesus on the cross are seven last words. Many of them are more than one word, so I don't know why we call it seven words, but there is one that is an individual word. It's the word tetelestai, which means it is finished, but really you could also translate it this way, it has been paid in full. And so as we think about Jesus being better, I mean, the bill has been paid completely. And even when I add to it again and mess up, that it's been paid for, it truly doesn't get any better than this. How is Jesus better? He's better than angels, better, gives us a better lifestyle, better access, better hope, better covenant, better sacrifice. And we've already kind of talked about this already, but a better future. Look at, actually there are multiple references on this. In Hebrews 10.34 it says, But now they desire better, that is a heavenly country, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has answered a city for them. But, but I want to look at another passage I don't have in your outline. Look at Hebrews 11.35 if you have your Bible. Because I think this will illustrate the whole idea of a better future. Uh, Hebrews 11.35 says, says this, women receive their dead, raised to life again. Uh, 
Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Now again, I'm racing through the book of Hebrews here, and even each, each passage, there's so much I'd like to kind of give a backstory to. But as we think about Jesus or God having the power to raise people from the dead, that just didn't happen when Jesus arrived on the scene. Okay, Jesus, God was able to bring life back from death. And we saw, obviously, when Jesus was here, that he did that. And let's look at one of his probably most um, familiar resurrection. Remember Jesus kind of broke up that funeral, uh, Lazarus' funeral? Remember? He arrived a little late. They were a little upset with that. In fact, they were angry at him. And then after he kind of gave a response back, they were still weeping at the death of their brother and loved one. And, in fact, Jesus wept. But then he called Lazarus out of the grave. Now, I don't know about you, but it doesn't get any better than this. If I had to pick a miracle before Jesus went on the cross and rose from again, I'd like to have been to that one, you know? He'd been in the grave so much so they said he's going to stinketh when he comes out. He was wrapped up in other grave clothes. Everyone knew he was dead. And then he brought him back to life again. How can it get any better than this? And I often go to this story in, in, in services that will remember people's uh, life uh, as they've gone on to their next life, okay, is as you think how great Lazarus' miracle was, he died again. Now, if all that God does is give us more life, whatever, whatever age we think we're going to live to, you know, 70, 80, 90, 100, Hap's going to go over 100, that's, that's his goal, all right? What if we could say, okay, we'll give... Any of you, 10 more years, 15 more years, 20 more years here. Man, what an amazing, what a, I mean, if you added that to the Obamacare, everybody would go for it, right? I can guarantee you, you know, X more, more years, okay? But you, we can't do that. But even if we could, there's someone who could do much, much better than that than to extend your physical life here. And that is going to give you a life forever. When Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life, he who believes in me shall live even if he dies, do you believe this? That was more than just the physical resurrection of Lazarus. It was a, the resurrection that would last forever. There's a better future. This life is not the final chapter. But you better make sure you know where your life is going to be. Then finally, and these aren't done in any particular order, all of them are awesome. There's a better forgiveness. Look at Hebrews 12, 24. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, we've talked about that, that new agreement, that deal that God has made for us, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Now, here we're going back to the first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, this fourth chapter. We have the, we have the Cain and Abel story. Cain kind of gets a little ticked off, and Abel takes his brother's life because he didn't give the same or appropriate sacrifice. And so Abel's was a good sacrifice, but what he's, and it was a sacrifice to cover his unworthiness before God's sin. And he said, look at Even the good sacrifices in the Old Testament for the issue of forgiveness is much better because it's full and complete given by Jesus. We said a couple weeks ago, I believe, that as you look at the other offers by other world religions or other faiths, 
there are a lot of similarities between religions. I mean, they all talk about God. They all talk about being good, having certain lifestyle direction. But the uniqueness of Christianity, it's all about forgiveness. That, that we cannot measure up. As someone as well said, it's the difference between do versus done. If you're still trying to do more to make it before God, you're, you're never going to make it. And that what Jesus did is he finished the work of covering and forgiving of sins on the cross. And we are called to come to him in humility and say, God, just take my life. It really doesn't get any better than this. This is the offer. So what must I do? God's done his part. What must I do? We, we could express that in so many ways. We, recently at Grace Hills, we, we've been trying to put it as simple as the ABCs. It's, it's simple, but it's not easy in the sense that it's going to take all of who you are to grab hold of all of what God has done. It begins, A, with admitting your need. Admitting that Jesus is better than anything you or this world has to offer. And then recognizing the barrier between you and God is sin. And admitting that you're willing to turn from whatever selfish ways you're going and, and give that to God. That's where we've all been. Anyone who has ever become a child of God, using whatever words you want to describe it, they admitted their need and they turned or repented from the direction they were going to God's way. Secondly, the letter B, it's believing that, that Jesus fully paid the penalty for your sins. And he rose again to, to nail that that was actually true. And believing is not simply, I agree intellectually, it's, it's trusting in, it's relying upon, and saying that that's going to be the direction of my life. And then it's C, committing. It's saying, I, I'm, making, I'm making a stand to follow Jesus as my Lord, the boss of my life, the leader of my life, to be my Savior and God. In a moment, we're, we're just going to pray. And if you've never crossed that line of faith, might this be the day you say, okay, I've been, I've been resisting that pull of God on my heart, and today I want to admit I need Him and turn from my way to His way. I want to believe fully in Him, and I commit my life to follow Him. And you can express that to him in prayer this morning. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I, I do believe that you are better than anything this world has to offer. I admit my need for you. And I want to turn from my way. I, I want to believe that you fully paid the penalty for my sins, and I do believe that and that you rose again. And now I'm giving you my life by committing to follow you. I don't know all what that means or how that's going to change how I live, but Father, I just, I just, Jesus, I just commit to follow you this day. I thank you that you've answered my prayer this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you pray that prayer this morning, I just encourage